Hey, we're starting a new collection. I'm so excited about it. I enjoyed this morning. I'm looking forward to tonight and all the weeks to come. We're starting a new collection, and it's called Killers. No? Okay. For me and two other people are excited. I know it's kind of dark, maybe. Or maybe it's exciting to you. I don't know where it lands. Killers. Here's what I know. That you woke up with that Holy Ghost power I was talking about inside of you, ready to go. But also, the moment that you woke up, the devil had been scheming all night on your life. Trying to kill different areas and spots that might be growing. I know that all day long, the enemy's been crouching at the door, waiting to do the very thing that he does, which is to steal, to kill, and destroy. And I thought, why don't we go to the Word of God in this collection and let our eyes be further opened up by the Holy Spirit and the Word of God that we might see some things that are trying to kill what's good in our life. I also thought at the same time, while, while we're letting the Holy Spirit minister to us through the Word in ways that the devil's trying to come against us, why don't we at the same time let some things that God wants to terminate in our life be killed as well? Because some of us have so much pride, we can't get through any doors that God wants us to get through, and so we end up going through the wrong doors, which are a lot bigger, because we got so much pride. So let's kill some pride while we're at it. Yes, the devil's after your marriage and your future marriage. He wants to kill it, but at the same time, let's go ahead and let's kill some pride so we can deal with that. So I want to make sure you know that the devil can't stop you. That he has schemes but we can spoil them. That we can align ourselves with the word of God and let the things in our life that need to die, die. And let the things that the devil's trying to kill come back to life. He may have some strangleholds on some areas of our life. We may know it or not know it. But as we shine a light on it during this time, we can look at our marriages. We can look at the topic of pride. We can look at faith. We can look at obedience. We can look at money. I love talking about money. It's great. Everyone else is talking about it. Why shouldn't the church? Tonight, we're going to talk about faith. My title is this. You ready? All right, good. This is my title. Try to kill my faith. That's my title. Because I know that the devil woke up. That's what he was already trying to do. So I thought, why wouldn't I just look at him, look at him right in the eyes and say, try to kill my faith. Because he's trying. So if you think it's dramatic, I think it's just right, right on par for the course. Because it's what he's trying to do. That's why it, you were late getting there. That's why it was a catastrophe here or there. That's why you want to claim stress over every situation that you have. That's why you're in a panic. That's why you think you don't have enough money. That's why when you get enough money, you lose your money. That's why you can't seem to humble yourself enough. That's why you can't keep a job. That's why, because he wants to kill your faith. So why not just stand up in boldness as the church, look him dead in the eyes and say, try to kill my faith. And I'm hoping that through the word of God, too much for you? Okay, all right. I can, I can hone it back and water it down, but... All right, well, y'all, just, y'all are acting like I'm coming at... I called the collection killers, and y'all are like, I don't know if I'm ready for it. I'm like, well, you're here. Get ready for it. Talking about faith, a lot of people use an illustration that you might have seen before or heard of before. It's a pretty decent illustration. For the illustration, I need a volunteer. 
Most, most likely no harm will come to you during this illustration. Yes. Strapping young lad. Stand right here. No, no, don't do nothing yet. Stand right here and stare at this chair with me. A lot of times, people describe faith like a chair. And they say faith is like a chair. You don't know if it works, but you sit in it, therefore you trust it. And the fact that it works proves that, you know, there's faith. And in some level tonight, all of you exercise some level of faith because you came in and you sat on these chairs. Which you, some of you, were thinking, I've sat on a lot of chairs. And they work most of the time. So I have great faith in sitting in a chair. And some of you have come in this very room, just like the two of us. And you've sat in one of these chairs. And so you didn't think twice when you came in the room and you sat on the chair. You didn't think, you know what, I wonder if someone was in here. And they were sawed off one of the legs of this chair. And they just kind of propped it up with the other chairs. There's really only three legs. You didn't come in here. Boldness, boldness. All right, the chair is good. We can sit down. That's not what you did. I said, tell people boldness. You sat right down on the chair. Why? Because that's the faith that you had on the chair. So people describe faith like a chair. Go ahead and have a seat. See? Boom, it works. Okay? Faith demonstrated. Okay? Now, this is a fine illustration. I'm, I'm sure the person who came up with it is a, is a you know, smart person in somewhere around 1987 or whenever they came up with it. They were at some youth camp and they were like, I'm going to show these kids like, about faith. I'm going to bring a chair up on stage and I'm going to have this kid sit in it and everyone's going to be like, oh my gosh, that's what faith is like. I'm sure that happened and it's been great and people have been doing it ever since, okay? But here's the thing. Sometimes some illustrations are for generations and for seasons and others are for others and I think this illustration is done. I don't think that we need to say, hey, faith is like coming and sitting in a chair because here's the reality. We've been doing it. We've got our faith. Our faith is ready, and it knows how to come into a room and to sit in a chair and to trust a chair and to trust a place and to sit there and be still. It knows how to do it, and good for some people because it took faith for some people to come in this room tonight and sit in a chair. That was a big deal. But here's what I, here's what I think. I think rather faith could be described as standing up from the chair because for some people, that takes faith. And then, craziest thing, can you do something for me? Can you take your right foot, and what I need you to do is I need you to lift it up by the knee, and I need you to move it like six inches out and put it on the ground. Yep. It's a step. That takes faith. Now, this is going to be wild, but you got it, okay? Everyone's watching. I still trust you. Do the same thing with your left leg, and then they'll be equal. Boom. This is two steps right here. I picked the right guy. He's like, you're crazy, man. I can take all kinds of steps. You know why? Because he does it all the time. And when you start doing it all the time, it's easy. Look at this. We can take steps like crazy. Look at this. We're walking up and down. We can do a spin, and we can walk right back. Go ahead. Sit down on the chair, and then stand back up. Watch him. Watch what he can do. Boom. Now stand up. See? Look at this. Because, thank you. You're a wonderful demonstrator. And thank you for letting me borrow this fantastic chair on sale tonight for only... See, we've we've learned faith is trust in the chair. Sit in it, trust it, be it, it's good. But I think rather faith is standing up. And the thing is, at some point, faith was sitting in the chair and trusting it. But what I'm hoping for your faith is what was faith before? Before? 
Now is no longer faith because you know it's going to happen. And as soon as you're like, okay, I don't have to have any faith for that, it's not faith. So what you were believing for last season can't be what you're believing for this season because what you believed for last season, it happened. Now we're taking another step. Now we're not sitting in the chair, we're standing up from the chair. Now we're not saying faith is that the chair works. We're saying faith is that we left the chair back. We don't even, we used the chair, now we're done, now we're going out. We're the church, we're the people of God, we're on mission, we have something to do. And so therefore we're standing up and we're taking steps of faith out into the world, what God is calling us to do. And this is what the enemy's afraid of. At first he was worried that we would figure out faith when we sat in the chair, but then he's like, you know what I can do? It's like I can make this chair really nice. It won't get up. Then I can make them feel like they're really doing something great, and then they'll stay right there. And it's worked a lot. And for a lot of us, we're still in the same mode of faith we were in five years ago. Five months ago, we're still in the same level of faith. We're still in the same level of growth. And the Holy Spirit is calling us to a bigger place, hoping that we might walk in faith. But rather, the enemy is coming every single time and cutting us down right in our faith. Let me show you two texts right here. Hebrews chapter 11. Turn there. Hebrews chapter 11. Starting in verse 6, it says this. And without faith... It is impossible, say impossible. Impossible. There's only one time in scripture where you're going to hear that something's impossible. Because everything is possible to God. But without faith, it is impossible to what? To please God. Yes, I understand that Jesus was sent on the cross. Yes, I understand that his blood was poured out. Yes, I understand that it's only by grace and mercy and love from the Father that we have any way. But it is by grace and what, what, what's it through? Through faith. And what is faith? Well, look at verse 1. It tells us. I'm going to read it from the NLT. Faith shows us the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of what we cannot see. Faith is the assurance, the ESV says, of things hoped for. And it is the conviction, it says, of things that we cannot see. The great thing is, it's the assurance, meaning that it is sure that it's going to happen. So therefore, faith is what? It's the reality. Catch me here. Faith is not your dreams and wishes. Those are dreams and wishes. Faith is the reality, the manifestation reality of what is hoped for. So therefore, you have a hope, okay? That means there's a possibility, a possibility. I hope that later on we get ice cream. Now, when my faith is applied, when that hope is put in the ground and it becomes a seed and it can grow into faith, all of a sudden I'm sitting there and I have ice cream. Why? That is the reality. Faith is the reality of what I hoped for. Faith is not your dreams. Your dreams are your dreams. Dreams are great. That's just wishing and hope. But once it's put into the ground as a seed, faith is what makes it the reality. So the devil doesn't have to even kill your hopes and dreams. He just got to make sure that they don't turn into faith. They just stay in your heart. Don't ever tell anybody out loud. Don't ever really, don't ever really, you know, go too much into it. You can have those hopes and dreams. You can have that. You can see yourself there. You can see yourself there. But just don't, just don't let it get too serious. 
I'm going to tell you two killers, two faith killers. You ready? Two faith killers. The first one is the presence of sin. The presence of sin. I'm not talking about the existence of sin. Sin exists. Okay? But the existence of sin, that just means that there is sin in the world. All right? I'm teaching a little bit. Hang on, all right? Just hang on to my coat. We're walking down a hall. Just don't get lost. Okay? We're going to keep going. You're smart. You got this. Okay? The existence of sin is that sin's in the world. Until we go to eternity, you're not stopping sin in the world. That's how it is. I'm not talking about that. Sin in the world does not ever stop my faith, nor yours. It cannot. The existence of sin does not stop the work of God that he's trying to do. And when I hope for things, and I take them, I put them in the ground, they become faith, they become reality. Sin and the existence of sin cannot touch any of that. Now, what I'm talking about is the presence of sin. The presence of sin is sin that's in my presence. Now, that can begin to kill my faith. Now, I don't mean that you're nearby me or something like that. I'm talking about sin that's in my presence. It exists, it's out there, but it's when it's in my presence now, what begins to happen is sin begins to come at the root of hope and faith and begins to cut it before it can grow. The presence of sin begins to chop down the things that God is trying to do in my life, the things that the Holy Spirit wants to do, the things that he's put in my heart that I'm going after. I've got it from the chair. I'm beginning to take steps, but oh wait, there's some sin right here. I start dabbling in it, and all of a sudden what it does is it begins to chop. And here's the thing about sin. It says in James chapter 1, verse 15, and sin, when it is fully grown, gives birth to death. Picture this for a second. Sin grows up, has a baby that it gives birth to. It multiplies, it duplicates, it reproduces, and what does it reproduce? Death into your life. So here's, here's how it typically works. Because the devil is pretty smart in his own way. He's very cunning. He has no wisdom, but he's cunning. What he does is he introduces you to a small, cute sin. You kind of take it by the hand, and you're like, oh, that's cute. I'll walk around with that. It's just a show. It's just one drink. It's just, it's just a date, okay? It's just one date. It's just small. It's cute. Look at it. I'm holding it. It can't do nothing to me. I'm holding it by my hand. You could have seen me with little baby Mav earlier, and I was holding him by both his hands. We're standing here and praying. It's cute, okay? He can't. He can't, if I let go, he's down, he's, he's going to fall. It's just a little cute sin. I'm just walking it around. But what does it say? When sin is fully grown. See, what happens is, you got it when it's cute and it's small, but what happens to things that are cute and small? They grow up. There's a reason why that we get little puppies when they're puppies. Because they're so dang cute. And then they grow up, and you're like, oh, man, I got these nine dogs. I don't know what to do with these nine dogs. <laughs> this happens all the time. Not the nine dogs thing. People go out, they get a cat, they get a dog. It's so cute. Three months later, they're like, what have I done? This is like responsibility. This is work. It's growing up. It costs money. There's a reason why I'm not walking around to all the adults in the mall going, hey, hey, you, look at your cheeks. Oh, you. <laughs> I'm not going around. Would you look at the hair on this one? Look at, the, look at that little hair. No, you don't do that to adults. It's weird. Zach said earlier, we were driving here. He didn't know I was teaching on this. He said earlier, 
I have Zach's unlimited permission to share. Whatever. Right, Zach? Thanks, buddy. He said earlier, he's, I sent him a picture of Baby Mav, and he said, Baby, he said it was such, such a great picture because he said it was so silly and it was so cute at the same time. He said there's something about babies that they can be both silly and cute at the same time. He said, but then when we turn into adults and we try to be silly, we're no longer cute. We're just weird. It's like we're trying to be silly. It's like if I'm doing this, you're like, what are you doing, dude? But if Baby Mav's doing it, you're like, that's the cutest thing I've ever seen. He sneezed. He just did a sneeze. Like, no. If the guy does a sneeze in the restaurant, everyone's dodging, you know, like. Put your mask on. Whoa. You know, they're, they're, they don't want the sneeze. Baby sneeze, like, get that on me. I want to breathe in the baby sneeze. It's true. Why? It's cute. And so you're walking around, and you picked up something cute on the way, and you forgot it's going to grow up. And when it grows up, it's going to make babies. And when it makes babies, it's delivering death into your life. And so all of a sudden, you take on just a small little habit that you shouldn't. Because at the time, it's just a habit. It's not an addiction. It's a habit. A little habit that you shouldn't. And you start walking it around, and all of a sudden, it starts growing up. Eventually, you put your arm around it, and you're all teenagers hanging out together. And the next thing you know, it gets pregnant, and it delivers death into your life. And you're like, why is my spiritual life dying? What should I do? Where should I go? You nursed this thing for 10 years. You fed it, you took care of it, you clothed it, you brought it here, and you, you hooked it up with someone else. They made babies, and now you got death in your life. And you wonder why your faith is going down. Because the presence of sin kills faith. But the devil knows. He can't hit you with too many hard punches right at once. Because you'd be like, oh, that seems wrong. So he's got to ease you into it. And once he gets you with one, then another, then another... Lock you down, make you slow, sit you in the chair, don't get up, you're cool, you feel good. Then you look back three years and you're worse off than when you got saved. And you're wondering, the salvation thing must not be real. No, the salvation thing is real. The baptism thing was real. The church thing is real. All the word of God is real. Just the, the difference was that instead you were nursing around a little small cute sin that grew up and started delivering death into your life. And now you're confused at why it works like that. Here's the problem then. So what we do is we wake up to the reality and we realize we've got some sin in our life. But the problem is we forget that sin has both a fruit and a root. Still teaching. Stay plugged in. It has a fruit and a root. And so we start seeing addiction in our life. We start seeing bitterness coming out. We start seeing jealousy coming out. And we're like, what's going on with that? I gotta, I gotta cut. And what we do is we start cutting the fruit of sin that's happening in our life. What I mean is the side effect of what's happening. So we're like, man, I just gotta get rid of this addiction to pornography. I just got to get rid of this addiction to smoking. I just got to get rid of this addiction to drinking. I got to get rid of this addiction to being on all these apps all the time. I got to get rid of this addiction of just wanting attention. And so we start trying to go after that. We try to chop it. We try to chop it. We try to chop it. We come down to the prayer line and we're asking for prayer. We're like, oh, pray for me, pray for me, pray for me. But here's the problem that you can just keep chopping that all you want. There's a root to it down here because sin starts down at the root. It's not at the fruit. It's not at what you see. It's at what's deep down inside of you. And that's where your faith can come in and begin to uproot the very thing that has been rooted in your life for the last 10 years. But if you keep chopping at the fruit of sin, what you're doing is just wearing yourself out. 
thinking that it doesn't work, thinking that the power of God doesn't work. It works for them. It doesn't work for you. It works for him. It doesn't work for her. I'm so confused. I don't know what's going on. Why? Because we forgot about the fruit and the root principle of everything that's in our life. The presence of sin, that's number one. Second one, you ready for number two? The presence of society. The presence of society. The presence of sin, the presence of society. I'm not talking about people. People are awesome. People are created in the image of God. People are to be loved. We're to love God and love people. That's the greatest thing we're supposed to do. People are, people are not the problem. It's society. Let me tell you the definition that I found on several different places, a, a Definition, at least in America, of society. A highly structured system of human organization for large-scale community living that normally furnishes protection, community security, and national identity for its members, a.k.a. American society. The difference, when I'm saying society, what I'm not talking about is community. Community's awesome. We need community. Community helps us grow closer to God. Fellowship, iron sharpening iron, this is awesome. What happens at midweek? What happens outside of here? What happens in the lobby? All those things, that's community. That's great. We love that. We need it. Community is centered around Christ. Society is centered around the person. Because why? It's man-made. It's a man-made structure to keep everybody going in the direction that society wants them to go, going to the culture everybody wants, buying the stuff that we're supposed to buy, eating what we're supposed to eat, shopping what we're supposed to shop, getting the debt we're supposed to get. This is society. And society kills faith. Because the world, which is led by the worst leader, and I'm talking about Satan, forget everything else. He hates you. And he's jealous of you. And he wants to ruin your life and he wants to kill your faith. And he wants death to be born inside of you. That's what he wants. And because he can't outright kill you without permission, what he goes after is your faith. And how he does it is through cultural norms. You got a phone? Someone asked me my phone number the other day for like some random store. I was like, ah, I don't, I got, I don't got one. <laughs> I, just, I just didn't want another person texting me and calling me, so I just, whoops. Anyways, you got a phone? Well, you better get the new one because it's coming out or whatever, right? You don't even know what it does. You just think, I should probably get that. You know what? I think I need it. I think I need that. Oh, it has a better camera? Oh, man, i got to have that. Take pictures of all my friends in society because it tells us what to do on this phone. Now, here's the great thing. This phone is awesome in community. I was sending text messages today encouraging people in community. I can use this phone for community, but this phone can also be used in society. Telling me what to do, helping me be on it so that I don't see the people around me that I'm supposed to love. Instead, I'm right here looking at a fake world that I'm not in. Come on, let's be real. I'm not saying throw your phone away. I'm saying make sure it's redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Make sure, it's, make sure you're plugged into community and not society because society wants to kill your faith. The internet, this vast world of knowledge, 
All your answers and problems can be solved in one second. Just ask Siri. Just Google search it. Just look it up on whatever other thing that you got. Just Pinterest it. Just do that. Whatever. Pinterest it. No one says that. <laughs> this that sweet grandparents told us the other day. We were taking pictures of family pictures. And they were like trying to get them on their phone. And I was telling them, we're going to get them on one phone. We don't need them on one phone. Then we're going to send them to you. Everyone's going to have them. It's going to be fine. Because, you know, you don't want to take pictures on all the different phones, right? You understand. And so they said, they were kind of like concerned that they weren't going to get them. And so they said, you're not going to take them and put them on that Pinterest and try to send them to me through Pinterest, are you? And I was just like, I love you so much. I promise you, on the word, I'm not going to send you these pictures through Pinterest, okay? I promise. I absolutely, you, you have my scout's honor or whatever it is, all right? No, don't worry. All right, all right. But you know, they were thinking they were thinking the right thing. They just had the wrong thing, you know. They were probably thinking Instagram or, you know, MySpace or whatever, Zanga, whatever they were thinking. They were thinking whatever. But here's the thing. You, you, you're supposed to get this internet thing. You've got to pay money for it so you can get all the answers right away. And we spend so much time on the internet and so less time in the Word. Why? Because society says. You don't believe me yet? What about all those apps on your phone? What about all those social media apps? You've got to get on there. What do you do? Just scroll and just scroll and just scroll and just scroll. And what you're doing is you're looking at everyone, you're looking at society and what you're supposed to want and what you're supposed to have and what you're supposed to long for. And then when anything good comes along, like community that you're not in, and you look at it from far away, you start criticizing it because it can't be good because you're not in it. Here's the thing. If you're not in community, how would you know if it's good? And if you are in community, and I am in community, then why would we criticize each other's community? Because community grows people closer to Christ. So I don't need to criticize your community, and you don't need to criticize my community. Instead, what we can do is we can let, we can let the Word of God work itself out. Because if we're in community, then guess who speaks to us? The Father. Guess who instructs us? The Father. Guess what leads us? The word of God. That's why we're in community. So if I miss it, you got it. If you miss it, I got it. We help each other. But society says, move this way. Come on, walk faster. Buy more stuff. Get more things. Take a left-hand turn. Don't think. Don't ask questions. Don't read the word of God. And just follow the person behind you. Get what they get. Do what they do. The problem is a lot of them are doing the wrong thing. And so what is it doing? Society is coming in, cultural norms, and it's killing your faith. I love Texas. I love the United States. I love the city. I love the Metroplex. I love those things. Why? Because the people that are in them. But once we start becoming fish that just swim wherever we're told to swim, down whatever stream we're told to do, not thinking, not acting, not walking by faith, but walking by whatever we're supposed to walk by, what happens? Faith begins to die. The psalmist writes in Psalm 73, verse 3 and 5. He's looking around at the world. He's looking around at society in his time. And he's confused. He's confused because he understands even then the principle that Jesus later says in Mark, in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, where he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Because he's looking at society around him, he's seeking God, and he's seeing instead of all the things being added to him, he's seeing all the things being added to them. So he says this, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for they have no pangs till death. 
Their bodies are fat and sleek. What a compliment. Good to see you tonight. You're looking very fat. You're looking very sleek. Glad you're here. Thank you. I feel very fat. I feel very sleek. Feel, feel the elbows. They're sleek as can be. Yep. It's a compliment then, right, you know. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. He's looking out at society, and he's saying, it looks like it's going really well for them. And I'm in community, and I'm just trying to keep my head above the water, and I don't know what's going on. This thing seems wrong. But then he makes a transition in verses 16 and 17, same chapter, chapter 73, and he says, And when I thought how to understand this, it seemed like such a wearisome task. It's wearing me out. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. The presence of sin will kill your faith. The presence of society will kill your faith, but the presence of God will build it up like never before. He's looking around, he's confused. He's thinking, I can't seem to understand all the things that are going around. But then I got into, I got into the sanctuary of God. I got into the presence of God. And how many know what the presence of God will do? It will begin to rewire your mind. It will begin to transform your heart. It will begin to transform your thoughts and your words. The presence of God begins to change who you are, your very self and who you are. The presence of God begins to work in such a way that you begin to understand things that you didn't understand. You begin to see things that you didn't see before because the presence of God God begins to grow your faith and no longer are you sitting in a chair hoping that it works but you're standing up and you're walking by what by faith thank you Brandon somebody's picking it up and you're beginning to think you know what this thing really works here I am why because you're in the presence of God it's transforming you I was confused and I was losing faith and then I got in the presence of God And you know what the presence of God did? It began to find the roots of sin in my life. I didn't, wasn't working for it. The presence of God knows where to go. All I did was just seek after him. All I did was just get closer to God. All I did was just draw closer to God. And things that didn't need to be in my life began to get ripped out. Let me take you to Romans chapter 5. He's talking about faith in verses uh, 1 and 2. I want to read verses 3, 4, and 5 to you. Just for sake of time, you can go read it and you can see that he's talking about faith. That's the topic that we're out on here, Romans chapter 5. He's talking about faith and he says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Hard to do. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Am I a liar? That endurance produces character. Anybody want some of that? And that character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let me tell you something. You've been walking through what you've been walking through and you've been thinking, man, this is tough. I'm not sure. Maybe the church thing's not what it's all about. Maybe the faith thing's not working out for me. I tipped a little money here. I did a little thing there. I served a little here. I'm coming to church, but it just doesn't seem like my head's getting quite above the water. What you need to do is get in the presence of God So that you can see that all the things that were happening that seemed at the time that they were suffering 
Actually, instead, they were making endurance in your life, and that endurance was producing a character that could hold the calling that God had for you. And now that there's some character built up inside of you, not just some hype, none of that, not just energy and passion, you had that, but now some character that's in there. Now it can hold what? It can begin to hold hope. And you know what hope is? Remember what hope is? Hope is the seed that goes into the ground that begins to come the reality of faith. Because faith is reality. Hope is I wish. I'm there. I'm beginning to dream. I'm beginning to let this hope thing become something that's part of me. And so I put it in the ground in the midst of what? Suffering. In the midst of what? Having to endure. In the midst of what? Having my character rebuilt. In the midst of what? I'm putting this in the ground so that the roots will grow. Faith has a fruit and a root too. Everybody wants the fruit of faith. Nobody wants to work for the root of faith. And I say work. Because what God calls us to do oftentimes is not easy. You think it's easy to build a giant boat? No one's ever even seen a boat or seen the rain. You're going to build a boat on the ground? That's easy? You think it's easy to spend the night in a lion's den? You think it's easy to endure the things that the apostles endured? You think it's easy to be blind for several days just so that your eyes can be opened and you can see the glory of God like Paul? You think it's easy to be hated like the disciples were by so many people who were around them? Most all of them murdered for their faith, and yet we want a calling that just has fruit, that has no root, and is easy. And God is saying it doesn't work like that. If you want to live a life in the presence of God, in a faith that's growing, that can handle the things that I've called you to do, and boy, have I called you to do some great things. Look at my children, my sons and my daughters, and I want to pour out my favor upon them. But if I did, their character couldn't hold it because they haven't learned to endure long enough so they can grow strong enough so they can have the faith that actually gets it done. All right, I've done enough. Let me just tell you some very practical things and I'll get out of here, okay? Hope you'll write these down. I think they'll shift in your week if you're not already doing them and help your faith not be chopped at the root by sin and society, but rather grow at the root so that fruit can begin to come from your faith like never before. You can look the devil in the eye. Temptation, addiction, struggle, stronghold, and you can say, Try to kill my faith. You can do it by these statements right here. The first is plant the seed of vision. Plant the seed of vision. How you can do that is by taking some type of vision board and putting it up where you can see it. You can write things on it. You can put pictures on it. You can do whatever you want to do. If you want to put your house and your car on there, that's fine. But what I think matters most is the things that you need in your life. Freedom from what? Put it on there. Write it down like it's done. I'm free from, boom. You need someone to be saved? Write it down like it's done. This person is saved, boom. A vision board that's up that you can see, that's there, that you now have prayed over and you've put things up on it. It can be small, it can be big, you can carry it in your wallet, but you gotta look at it, you gotta see it because you need vision in front of you. What do the people perish from? A lack of vision. Your faith has to see something to go after something. That's why we have the model of Jesus so we can see, so we can go after. The second thing is plant the seed with your verbiage. First with your vision, second with your verbiage. Maybe you need to make a vision statement. I am called to 
What are you called to? Speak life to those around me and be the best student there ever was. Great, be it. Write it down and be it. Say it and be it. second way you can do that with your verbiage is make declarations or confessions. You can make a vision statement. That's kind of broad. You can do that and make it, you know, for the next season or whatever. But to make declarations or confessions. I have several. Start, they all start off with, I confess and declare that. Boom. What? I'm a child of God and I'm free from every single thing the devil has on me. Go to the scriptures and find them. There's tons that are in here. And when you begin to use them, what you're doing is you're taking out your sword of the spirit. Brought my knife tonight. Come on, baby. Taking out your sword of the spirit. I'm trained. You're taking out your sword of the spirit. And what you're doing is you're coming down. You're coming down. And you're chopping the root with what? The presence of God and the word of God. And it matters. It's something that really matters. Because now I'm sharpening my sword up. I have declarations to make. And every single time I make one of those, I'm beginning to chop down all the sin that's in my life. I don't got to work at it. I don't even got to find it all. I don't even got to know it all. I can let the presence of God begin to do its work. Why? Because when I begin to confess the truth of God, I begin to cultivate the presence of God. How do I get the presence of God? You can, you can do it any way. Get the truth of God near you. Look at it. Hear it. Say it. Very simple, very practical things you can do this week. That I say are simple, I did not say are easy. Because the moment you walk out of those doors, the devil's going to try to convince you, you don't need a vision board, you don't need declarations, you're not even good to think of any, you're not, your brain's not smart enough, it just won't happen, you can write them down, they're just not going to be any good, they're just not going to happen, why waste your time? All those things are waiting outside of the door of this building right here. They're waiting over by your car, they're waiting over by your house, and what you need to try to do is you're going to just go ahead and get down their level, and you're going to say, try and kill my faith. Because I'm a, declaration number one, because I am a child of God. Declaration number two, because he who is in me is greater than he who is out there. Declaration number three, because I walk by faith, not by sight. Come on, I can keep going. I can go all day. Killers. got some great topics the Holy Spirit has put into my heart for this season, I believe for the people of God. I don't want you to miss a single week. I want you to be here. I believe it's going to bless you and set you up in every aspect of your life to be walking in the presence of God.